Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Pensacola, Florida, it's time for Let's Talk Community with TLC Caregivers. Brought to you by TLC Caregivers. Welcome to today's show, Let's Talk Community with TLC Caregivers. I'm Kenny Holt. And I'm Lou Donaldson. Glad you're here, Lou. And we welcome... I'm glad you're here, too. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh... TLC Caregivers provides dependable caregivers to all ages in their own living environment, birth to geriatric, and we provide relief to family caregivers. We provide needed non-medical services wherever the client is. TLC Caregivers is the oldest non-medical service provider right here in Pensacola, locally owned since 1989. We are licensed, bonded, and insured and provide actual employees, not contracted workers to provide needed services. Our care plans are individualized. Companion, respite, personal care, homemaker, transportation, and child care. TLC Caregivers answers our phones 24 hours a day. We are available. We'd also like to encourage everyone to like us on Facebook. TLC Caregivers, we do more than you might think. Our topic today is what is advanced care planning and why is it important? And we have with us today Carrie Riggs, who is a licensed clinical social worker at Sacred Heart Hospital in the Palliative Care Program. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. We're so glad you're here, and I think this is a great topic that everyone needs to talk about, and I know that's one of the things that your efforts Mm -hmm. and Sacred Heart's efforts are to encourage people to at least talk about it. Absolutely. I think a lot of people believe that this is something that um, is only for certain populations, that it's not for them, but it's really very much something that all of us need to fill out regardless of our age and regardless of our medical background um, or critical chronic illness. So this is definitely for everybody. Well, let me jump in because I do have a question. I think um, why is a palliative... Talk to me about the palliative care at the hospital and the tie to these advanced directives. Absolutely. So um, palliative care, our catchphrase is living well despite disease. And really what we want to do is make sure we're looking at the patient as a whole person. So not just their physical, but also their emotional, their spiritual, and their mental well-being. And so we're very much proponents of making sure we're listening to the patient and, and sifting through all the options that they have for the critically or seriously ill um, patient. And so part of that is making sure we understand what it is that they would like to do. And the best way to do that is having the advanced directives completed or living wills or healthcare surrogates. So that's kind of why we're a proponent of advanced care planning. Um, And the hospital has even implemented it into new associate orientation because we want to develop a culture uh, that advanced directives and advanced care planning is important for everyone. Uh, Most definitely it is, but most of us prefer not to think about it, I think. Absolutely. I think the conversation is definitely the hardest part. Well, but it's not about how you're dying. It's basically about how you're going to live, right? Exactly, okay. exactly. Palliative care very much focuses on every good day and having quality of life. And that's oh, a, I love that. Yeah, me every too. Good <laughs> every good day. And it's and quality of life is, I think, a very vague term. So, you know, there's three of us here and we probably both, all three of us have different definitions of quality of life means to mm-hmm. each of us. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But I can't define that for you or for Kenny. That's something that we each have to define for ourselves. So it's really helping the patient have a voice and helping advocate that. So an advanced directive is nothing more than telling you how I want to live out the rest of my life. Exactly. Whether I'm perfectly healthy or my health is failing or I'm eminently 
time. Right. And so the advanced directives, I think that's also one of the things that I hear a lot. People are really nervous about, well, if I do it, then they're not going to help me or I can't do aggressive treatment or, um, you know, they're just going to ignore everything that I need to do. And so what I always like to remind people is that an advanced directive only becomes effective um, when all three of the following things are met. And so the three things are if the physician feels like you lack capacity, if you're in a terminal end stage condition or persistent vegetative state, and that two or more physicians determine that someone's condition has no reasonable probability of recovery. So they only become effective when all three of those are met. So I really encourage people to fill it out because that way you fill it out, you put it on the shelf, hopefully we don't have to use it. But if it comes to that time, you know, it's not this crisis for you or for your family. It's already been established. And at that point, it is too late for you as an individual to create those documents. Exactly. And I did want to talk about, even though you are with palliative care, and I cannot say that word. That's okay. Say it for me. Palliative care. Palliative care. People need to already have those documents in place because Mm -hmm. tell us, first of all, what is palliative care? So we, again, simply it's living well despite disease. And we want to look at the patient as a whole. So um, we can provide patients with um, cancer, heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, dementia, many more. And the the goal is to improve quality of life for both of them and their loved ones. And so it doesn't have to be family. I call, you know, friends or sometimes the family we choose. (laughs) So that includes them as well. Um, And palliative care focuses on providing relief for symptoms and stressors of illness that that chronic and serious illness bring. Um, And we can be provided right along with curative treatment. So just because you're saying, oh, I'm really interested in palliative care, doesn't mean that means you have to forgo any curative treatment, that they're not mutually exclusive. So somebody, that's where I say, I think it's very important that on today's show, we talk about this is a discussion that needs to happen now. Right. If you don't already have those documents, Mm -hmm. and if you do already have those documents, you need to periodically review them. Right. And it's so important in advance, and that's part of why it's called advanced care planning. Yeah. You can express your desires so that your family know, and they're not guessing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But I do think that's a gift to the family. I think that's a lovely point that you brought up, a gift that you give to your family, friends, it is truly a gift. I mean, the people that we've, um, you know, worked with patients wise who, and, and like Kenny said, the only reason I'm looking at the advanced directive is because the patient's not able to, to communicate with me what they would or would not want. Um, and so when, when we come to families who have an advanced directive or a living will that their loved one has made out, it's still hard, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot less burden on them because they know it's not them making the decision. Right. It's respecting the decision that the family member has already made known. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's part of the one thing that we all want. We None of us want to burden our family members with such hard decisions. And we think by not talking about it, we're protecting them. But honestly, when it, the time comes down to it, we really want to make sure that they're prepared. And, and like you were saying, it's very much a gift that we can give to our loved ones. As uncomfortable or awkward as this gift is, it's very much a gift that we can give them. And you say that families can respect your wishes. I think it's also important that we talk about it. Yes, please do these documents, but don't just hide them. When you do them, discuss it with your family especially the person or persons that you've designated to make those decisions for you. I have seen it where 
the person that was designated had no clue right that they were that person and they were willing or scared to be Exactly. So, and, and that's part of the healthcare surrogate that you appoint in your living will saying, this is the person that I would want to be my voice at the time that I'm not able to. And that's exactly right. We've run into it as well, where um, we call up the healthcare surrogate who was appointed um, and they said, oh, who's Miss Smith? Oh, I met her once or we went to breakfast once before and she's a very sweet lady, but I don't feel comfortable making end of life decisions for her, you know, respectfully and understandably. So this is very much something that if you appoint someone to be your spokesperson, that you talk to them, that they accept the responsibility um, and they understand the ins and outs of what you would or would not want, because it is very much, um, you know, responsibility that this person is going to undertake because you're not going to be there to also have a conversation about it. And before we go any further in the show, and we'll mention this a couple of times, I want to go ahead and tell people, if you're listening, Sacred Heart has free advanced care planning sessions every month. Correct. It's the second Tuesday of every month. From 3.30 to 4.30. Mm-hmm. No reservation required, but is preferred. Yeah. Um, and you can do that by calling you. Yeah, well, you can call the office at um, 850-416-416. 7705 and just say you're interested in attending our advanced care planning class. Do you want to give your email or do you want them just to make the reservations by phone? I think reservations by phone is best because sometimes things get lost. And you can, and they can ask questions. And they can ask specific questions. So again, that number is Mm 850-416-7705. Those meetings are monthly, the second Tuesday at Sacred Heart Hospital in the conference room, the MOB conference room. And that's 3.30 to 4.30. So I wanted to go ahead and mention that. And we'll mention that again before the end of the show. Now, let me ask a question because, Kenny, you've taken this class. I have not. So would I leave with an advanced directive if that was my choice? So you can, yeah. It's about 30 to 40 minutes of content. And it's very informal in the sense that I go over the Florida regulations and things that are involved in the conversation. Um, But I also really want it to be for the people that attend it. So if they have questions in the middle of it, I absolutely want to stop and answer their questions because a lot of times we forget as we go on in the um, class. So, yeah, so it's about 30 to 40 minutes. Um, If people afterwards want to complete a living will, we absolutely will sit down with them and complete that. Um, Some people have done that. Some people have thought about it, gone home, had the conversations with their doctors and with their healthcare surrogates, and then actually called us to come back and fill it out. And that's something we're more than willing to do. So you can show up and you're under no obligation to do anything is the point. I think that's an educational opportunity. Love it. And we give a little packet of information, um, including I think like a glossary of things that we've gone over. So if you do decide to go home and think a little bit more, you can say, oh, what was she talking about? Or what was that one point that I really wanted to make sure I addressed with my loved one? So you, and again, it's free. It's not, we don't charge. I know Lou knows a little bit about my story with my wife's death, but I have always believed in advanced directives. I was in the military and we always talked about that with military and with deployments. deployments. I was on submarines and when we went out and out, out and down, we always discussed that as an important thing. I experienced it with my father, uh, who also died from cancer, and those documents were in place. And before a deployment, my wife and I sat down and talked in great detail about my advanced directives, and we turned the conversation around to her, and thankfully we did that. Because we had thought I was the one at risk, 
and I would be the one if, you know, traveling around the world, something would happen to. But she was diagnosed with cancer, and of course that's unexpected. Mm -hmm. But I knew without a shadow of a doubt what her desires were, Mm -hmm. and we had an open-up relationship to where we communicated anyway. But having these documents, there was no gray area. Right. It was in written down. You never had a question if you were doing the right thing by her because it was a conversation you had and written on paper in her own hand. And at TLC Caregivers, we experienced this all the time with family members that we're caring for. Um, they will have those documents. And I know one of the things that you discuss in the training is a do not resuscitate or a DNR. Right. We do have clients that have that. And it's very important to honor right. those desires. And there's some precautions there, like you talk about a lot of people don't want to have the advanced directives because of various reasons they feel that, oh, they won't try to save my life. And that right. is not at all what it is right? unless it is a DNR. And even with a DNR, there are guidelines that they have to follow. That's a great point. So in the advanced directive, you can say, if I'm at end stage or terminal stage or, or persistent vegetative state, I would not want CPR or ventilator. But that does not mean you are an out of the hospital, do not resuscitate. So my living will says I wouldn't want those things if, if I was in that condition, but I'm still what we call a full code. So if something happened to me, they would still do chest compressions. They would still put me on a ventilator. It's only to address the issue at end of life. So that's a really great point. And you're right. A lot of people say, I don't want to put that on my living will because then that means if something happens now, they're not going to come and resuscitate me. So That's a great point to say that those are two very separate documents in the state of Florida. One indicates what you want in the future and the other, which is the do not resuscitate, which indicates what you want now. And that's something you and a physician have to sign and talk about and agree on. I I do think it's very important, you know, going back to the gift to the family or to your loved ones by doing it. um, You allow, Carrie and I were talking about different hats, whether we're mothers or we're at work or wherever we are. Um. You wear a different hat. If someone has the advanced directive in place, I'm assuming then that the family can concentrate on being the wife, the daughter, the mother, the whatever, and focus on the emotional side. And that is such a gift. Mm -hmm. That is a gift. Yeah, that truly is. When you, when someone passes, which is inevitable for all of us, we are able to say, I was able to do these things with this person. Yeah, because I find when we work with patients and families who do not have an advanced directive, I, I see I see the pain in the eyes of the family and the friends because they're, am I doing the right thing? This is not something we've talked about. Am I doing right by my loved one? And so, you know, that's something we can very much take off of our family by completing ahead of time um, and having the conversation as well. So I find it very interesting, Carrie. I'm looking at a, one of the documents that you provided in the training And it says, why is this important? And of course, this is what we're talking about, the advanced care planning. And the statistics on people's desires is 90% of people think it's important to talk about their loved ones and their own wishes for end of life. Yet, less than 30% of people have discussed what they or their family wants when it comes to the end of life. Mm -hmm. And it goes on to talk about 60% of people say that making sure their family is not burdened by tough decisions is extremely important, but only 56% have, or 56% have not communicated their personal desires. 70% of people say they prefer to die at home. However, 70% of people die in a hospital, a nursing home, or a long-term facility. 
and 80% of people say that if seriously ill, they would want to talk to their physician about end of life, and only 7% report having had that end Mm -hmm. of life conversation. And 82% of people say it's important to put their wishes in writing, yet only 23% have actually achieved that. And it goes on to say one conversation can make all the difference. It really can. And that was a national survey done by the Conversation Project in 2013. And it shows that as a culture, we realize this is very important, but we don't practice it because it's kind of that pink elephant in the room that we all know that it's there, but we're going to kind of look to the right a little bit and kind of ignore that it is actually there. If I don't acknowledge it, it won't happen. Right. Yeah. Or if I don't talk about it, then I won't burden my family. And um, I don't want to make them uncomfortable because it it, it, and brings up all these strong emotions. And yet, if you don't talk about it, those are even, I think, a worse situation for your family members. Yes. Um, so we want you to talk about the individual directives and just have at it. And okay. we'll just discuss them. So we kind of went over the statistics of what it is, um, why we feel this is important and why we're kind of taking the initiative to have these classes and, and bring it into new associate orientation. And simply the question is, what is advanced care planning? And simply it's defining the right care in the right place at the right time. Uh, a lot of people say it should re- be reviewed annually, but I think we're lucky if we do it in the first place. <laughs> so I recommend the five D's, which is reviewing it after every decade, after the death of a loved one, after a divorce, after a significant diagnosis, or after a significant decline in functioning. And the reason we recommend this is basically those are points in your life where you might have a change in opinion of what you find acceptable or not acceptable in your um, health care. So again, rather than considering it annually, at least do one of the five Ds. And part of doing the process is not just having the conversation, but reflecting on what experiences or stories do you have that relate to these situations or what values and beliefs do you hold um, that may impact your care. Some of the people that we encourage you to include in your conversation is not just your healthcare surrogate, but also your family. So they know what your healthcare surrogate is going to say at the time, your primary care physician. So they understand what it is that you would or would not want. And even your faith leader. We um, live in an area that has very strong religious and, and spiritual ties. And a lot of different religions have a beliefs on what is acceptable or not acceptable in medical interventions. And so I always strongly encourage people to consider those as well and maybe even talk to their faith leader if that's really important for them to make sure they're abiding by their spiritual beliefs. Um, The next step is identifying a healthcare surrogate. This is the person that's going to be your voice for you at a time when you cannot speak for yourself in terms of what you would want medically. Um, It does not have to be an eight response. a family member. It can be a friend. Um, as long as they're 18 years or older and they accept the responsibility and you want to make sure this is someone you can trust to honor your wishes, no matter how difficult the situation. And the reason I mention this is because usually when we're talking about executing these things, like um, following through on the wishes that you have put down, um, there's a lot of emotions running um, high. And so there's a lot of tension and crisis in the family. So even though that's going to happen, you really want someone who's going to be able to say, you know what, I really know this is a hard time and this is what I would want, but Carrie really wants this. And so even though we all want XYZ, Carrie would want ABC. So we're going to do what Carrie has said and what Carrie wants, even with all this tension or arguments going around. And this is where we've also said it is very important. Yes, you've selected somebody who you think will do that, 
you must have the conversation with that person before right. you put them in that document. Exactly. And and after you fill it out. So that they're willing. Absolutely. They're willing and they understand. I even tell people as soon as they fill out an advanced directive to sit down with their healthcare surrogate and say, what do you think I mean by this? <laughs> right? Because we talk about those vague terms. Um, and I've even gone to physicians to say, okay, what does my advanced directive say to you? Because I want to make sure we're on the same page about what this says to me. And so there's no questions or there's no concerns at a time when, again, you can't clarify because that's why we're using the document. I think that's an incredible suggestion because I never thought about it being misinterpreted. Yeah. But I may mean one thing and it sounds like something else. That exactly. Is a well, great that point. would bridge the generations and different mm-hmm. cultures. Yeah, that is an excellent point. I wouldn't have thought of it either. Yeah, I mean, because we even talk about when you're determining your preferences, which is the next step, um, we talk about defining vague terms. So heroic efforts, we all think we know what that means. But um, in medicine, I've seen such a gamut that I don't know that what I consider heroic efforts is the same thing as what my husband considers heroic efforts. And like we were talking about quality of life, we all have different definitions of what quality of life is. So if you put in your living will, um, I would want that surgery as long as I can maintain my quality of life. Well, that's really hard for me to determine. It's too vague. It's too vague for me to be able to say, well, yes, you can maintain your quality of life because it means something different to me than it does to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But it's something that I need to make sure that I understand from your perspective as your healthcare provider. And the other thing to consider is how serious would the illness or injury be for you to want to change your goals of care? So going from continuing aggressive treatment to purely comfort care. Um, and this is something too that one it simply one is enough enough. One is it would be that be too much and where we're crossing the line of being a support to you and being more of a burden to you. Um, and this is something again that that's very subjective. So you need to make sure that you have a good understanding of what that is and you communicate that with your healthcare surrogate. Um, and again, making sure you understand what preferences you have regarding acceptable medical interventions. Depending on your faith background, you might not expect uh, accept blood products. So if this is something that's against your faith, this is something that you would want to make sure that we as a medical team know. And putting in an advanced directive is a very good way to outline what is acceptable for you and not acceptable for you. Um, And the fourth step is documenting your plan. This is obviously a very important step of the advanced care planning process um, because you can have the conversation, but if it's not on paper, it's not legal. So I can't necessarily abide by who you want me to talk to in terms of your healthcare surrogate. Um, And the advanced directive combines your preferences for care and again, identifies your healthcare surrogate. And the other thing that I like to tell people is it can be updated whenever you want. So I recommend the five D's. but that doesn't mean you can't fill one out today and have a change of opinion tonight and you fill another one think, out tomorrow. I think that's important too. I think we've talked about updating it because your health has changed. Mm-hmm. But if you change your mind about a particular procedure or anything, mm-hmm. you can void the old one and start over. Absolutely. You just shred it up and you give the most up-to-date version to all of your providers. And of course, you want to give one to your healthcare surrogate. And we'll we'll have it in the hospital once before where I had someone who had two advanced directives on file. I guess one didn't get deleted. But if that happens to you, what will happen is we honor the most up-to-date form. So if you had one from 2015 and you turned one in in 2016, then I'm going to honor the 2016 document. Okay. 
So the last step is um, communicating your plan. As a social worker, this is what I feel like is the most important <laughs> step um, because I want to make sure that we discuss it with the healthcare surrogate, but not just them, also the family. So when I did my advanced directive, you know, I talked to my husband about it, but I also told my family because I didn't want him to be this odd man out over here making decisions mm-hmm. for me. Um, and people saying, no, that's not what Carrie would want. That, that's not fair to him. <laughs> you know, this is like we said, this is a gift. So we want to make sure the gift is provided to everyone. So when I had, when I filled it out, I felt, talked to, to my husband specifically and then just communicated to my family should, in the event that something happens, this is what he's going to do. And this is because this is what I've asked him to do. So don't gang up on him. <laughs> this is something <laughs> you should be mad at me about, not Again, about him. Again, the importance of communicating. Exactly, exactly. And then you want to give a copy to your healthcare surrogate and to all your physicians um, or keep it in the house where friends or family can easily find it. We've had people who put it in a safe deposit box. But the problem with that is if it's in the safety deposit box, you are the only one who can access it. Right. And you are sick enough that I'm needing to look at it. So even though that is a very safe place to put it, we can't access it. So make sure you give it. Would it be okay to uh, have the original in there and provide copies? That's absolutely fine. Copies are accepted, right? They are accepted. Absolutely. As long as they are witnessed correctly. So in the state of Florida, an advanced directive does not need to be notarized. It requires two witnesses. Neither one can be the healthcare surrogate, and one cannot be blood related. So, as long as they're both witnessed, if you will, we will accept a copy. That's fine. Let's talk a little bit about who can and cannot be a healthcare surrogate. So, anyone can be a healthcare surrogate as long as they're over the age of eighteen um, and are willing to accept the responsibility. So. Um, a few of the people that I've filled out advanced directives with lately wanted their children to be their healthcare surrogate, but they didn't live in town. And so that was a concern for them. Um, but this is the child that they really trusted that had good knowledge and would they knew would honor what they wanted. So it's easy for just to ease everyone's fears. It can be anyone over the age of 18. They do not have to live in the state of Florida. They can live elsewhere. I've even had someone in Germany. And they Germany. can be a family member, but they don't have to be. Right. They don't have to be a family member. They can be a friend as long as they're easily acceptable, ex- accessible. So we had a family member recently that was in Germany, but easily accessible. And so they made decisions for their loved one over the phone. And then there is a group of professionals that cannot be your healthcare surrogate your own personal physician, right? your medical or mental health professional, or any other professional that's providing care to you. Right. So if there's a conflict... For obvious reasons. Right. So if there's a conflict of interest in that, you know, the physician, the psychiatrist, um, correct, they are not... And they honestly should not, because you're supposed to talk to them and accept it, right? <laughs> they should not be accepting the role for that either. Um, additionally, those are, um, because they're providers for you, they are not allowed to witness your form either because they are your provider. So, um, if you were at the hospital at Sacred Heart, the physician couldn't witness it, but the nursing staff and the social workers, we all could witness it for you. One stop shop. That's right. Make it easy. That's right. There still is quite a, quite a bit to it that you get wrapped up in one, one package. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, the other thing I like to tell people is that if if you haven't made the decision to do an advanced directive, you haven't essentially made a decision on who you want to be your healthcare surrogate. And the reason I say that is because if you get to a point where you're not able to make medical decisions for yourself uh, and you have not appointed a healthcare surrogate or you have not executed a living will, then Florida law tells me who I am legally required to talk to to make decisions on your behalf. 
And that might not be someone that you want to make decisions for you. So we'll, I'll go through the Florida law, I guess, ranking, as you would call it. So the first person would be a judicially appointed guardian. So if you were considered a ward of the state, you would have a guardian appointed to you. They trump everyone. That's um, a court appointed. That's a court appointed, yeah. And typically... When we run into guardian situations, the patient wasn't able to participate in the conversation, and that's why they had a guardian anyway. Um, but if you didn't have that, then it would be your spouse. And what's important to know here is that in Florida, we do not recognize common law marriage. And so if you've been with someone for 25 years, and this is the person you would want to be your healthcare surrogate, but you have not been legally married, I cannot talk to them to make decisions for you. Unless they've done the... Um, unless you've done the healthcare surrogate, exactly. And so we've run into that where pe- couples were together for like 20 plus years and they were very much a husband and wife because it, they weren't legally married. Um, we had to go to the next person on the list. And of course, we wanted to include them and we did, but ultimately the decision was not theirs. Um, conversely, if you are going through a divorce but are not legally divorced, if something happens, your spouse is still the person who would make the decisions on your behalf. And again, just emphasizing this is if you have no advanced directive. Exactly. So let's say you're not married. Um, then it would go to your adult child or the majority of available adult children. So if you have multiple children, it would go to all of them. And I would need a majority, quote unquote, vote to do anything for you. Um, if you have no children, then it goes to your parents. If your parents are not alive, then it goes to an adult sibling or the majority of adult siblings. So again, if you had multiple siblings, we would have to get them together to make a decision for you. Um, and then if there, if there are no adult siblings, then it goes to any adult relative. Um, and if there are no adult relatives, then a close friend. So in the conversation earlier about common law marriage, unfortunately, even though you've been together for so long, they would actually fall in as a close friend. Um, and then finally, if you do not have a close friend and we've tried very diligently to try to find any family member and we haven't, then we ask a clinical social worker outside of the hospital to come and make medical decisions for you. Because again, this is at a point where you are not able to participate in conversations about what you would or would not want. And you have not done a living will to tell me what you would want or who you would want to make those decisions. So this person, though great and doing the best they can with the information they have, really, we don't know if this is what you would or wouldn't not because they don't know you. So this is why I, this is a little bit of my soapbox. <laughs> why I tell people, if nothing else, at least do a healthcare surrogate because then at least I'm talking to the person that knows you best and would be able to make the decisions that you would want for yourself. I was just envisioning when you were going down through that list of people and, and does, no offense, it seems like an endless list. Yeah. Um, you know, the garbage man, if we can't get a hold of the garbage right. man, we'll talk to the paper boy. Um, but anyway, I just envisioned this huge circus that that could turn into. It's very hard. I mean, we've, we've, um, had multiple patients who we were calling different parts of the country and I had a lead somewhere at a church in Baltimore. And so we called the church and the church was kind enough to go to the house where we thought the, so in, and honestly, what I find the most distressing is that the patient is caught in the middle, right? Right. So we're making these decisions. We understand how grave the situation is that we're talking about and we're doing the best we can but until we find family or a friend or come to the conclusion that we need to hire um, an outside consultant to to make the decisions the patient's caught in the middle and that to me is part of why it's my soapbox I don't want anyone to be caught in the middle 
Um, of course, we we never withdraw care. We never stop care. We continue to do everything um, that we need to do. But at the same time, the patient's kind of sitting there waiting for this to kind of settle. Well, and part of one of the things that frustrates me about this whole, um, and I'm, I swear I'm not going political down the healthcare reform, um, we waste a great deal of time in healthcare on things that are avoidable. Mm-hmm. And time, of course, being money or attention spent to another patient who might also need assistance. People who don't take care of their own business are actually sucking up resources from from the hospital or the nursing home or wherever they are. Well, I think that to me, the biggest tragedy is that I might be doing things they do not want me to do, but I'm not able to to clarify that or because, you know, again, part of what palliative care is, is making sure that I'm supporting you with whatever decision you made. If you want to continue mm-hmm. curative treatment, then I'm going to come alongside you and be your cheerleader for curative treatment. If you're done with curative treatment and you want to consider comfort measures, then I'm going to come along, rely right alongside you and support you there too. Um, but in the instance of when this is not defined, um, either we have to find family members to be able to make these decisions or worse yet, what I've seen a lot is that the conversation hasn't even happened with the family. So the family's struggling and saying, I don't know what mom would want. This is what I would want for myself, um, but feel lost and confused as well. But while you're doing that, that takes time and money. Yeah. And you could have 10 people, statistics say two and a half of them would have an advanced directive. So you have seven and a half people that you still have to treat, go through all yeah. right, treat, hoping that you're doing what they would prefer. Right. And finding their appropriate person to speak for them. And all of that could be avoided by this paperwork. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's free. Wow. And I it's love free. One of, the, often. one of the things that emphasizes you must do this advanced care planning to ensure that your wishes are desired is the statement, not making a decision is making a decision. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very difficult for everyone else because like Lou said, that laundry list of people that you have to go through. And I know that's got to be frustrating for you in the, in that situation when you're trying to ensure that care is being given mm-hmm. per that person's, that patient's Wishes. desires. Yeah. And that's oh. just, that seems so easy to me to resolve, <laughs> but yet statistics show and that cheap. we're cheap. Yeah. Yeah. How many free things did you get offered in the last Ten days. Yeah. And I <laughs> think it's little. also important here. Uh, we're talking about three documents that there are other legal documents that people can do in advance. But we're talking about medical here. Right. A durable power of attorney is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a durable power of attorney for health care. Correct. A living will. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, which we have not really touched on, is anatomical donations that's right and that's a personal desire as well as to what you just want to have donated from your body mm-hmm. well don't no wait a second this this is for don't we decide that at the dmv i'm not being rude no you're right so i tell people that a lot so there's three types of advanced directives like you're like you're saying kenny there's the living will which is the written or oral statement about what you find acceptable regarding your medical care at a time when you can't communicate it right and it's called a living will because it takes an effect while we are still living um, then there's the healthcare surrogate designation for some people who are a little wary about putting their wishes on paper but definitely say oh i want to avoid mm-hmm. you know the 
rigmarole of trying to find out who they should talk to. And that's a separate form that doesn't have to say anything else. And then the anatomical donation. And you're right. We all answer this at the DMV of do I want to be an organ donor or do I not? But you can take it a step further. There are some people who want to do whole body donation. And that's something that you have to do in advance um, with there's a lot of paperwork and that sort of thing that you would have to do in, in but way before you're passing. Right. Yeah. Right. So most of us answer this question at the DMV. But if there's something more specific that you would like to do, some people donate their bodies to science because they have a rare disease or some people donate it because that's something that they believe in. Further um, education. There's exactly. A, there's a lot of great reasons. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So if that's something you want to do, that's not answered at the DMV. That's something we have okay. to do more and, thoroughly. And in we advance. say that we all answer it at the DMV, but I know a lot of people leave it blank. I mean, that's so, true. and that again is your choice. That's your choice. Yeah. Well, y'all are going to make me get my wallet out and check and see. (laughs) I I think I answered. But yeah, that's a really good point. So you go more in depth and it gives us more options, Mm -hmm. which again is more choice. And we're all about choice. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm back with the conversation. Just, this is a good question. Well, that, that really did throw me off. And talking about the documents and talking about choice the pain management and comfort measures are so vast Mm -hmm. and so important. I mean, something so simple as what I want a feeding tube. Right. What I want to be on a breathing apparatus. Right. And I mean, the list goes on and on. Nutrition. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and that's a great point because most people don't want to do the living well because they're afraid of what the contents include. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, um, because they don't want to go that far in their brain or their mind's eye. So the basic questions that a living will asks is about artificial nutrition or artificial hydration if it was only to prolong the process of dying. So the the forms of artificial nutrition are total parenteral nutrition or TPN, which is administered via IV, or a percutaneous endoscopic, I can't pronounce that, gastrostomy tube, or we call it a PEG tube for short. It's so much easier. Um, Or a nasogastric tube, which is a tube that goes, um, you know, up your nose and then down to your stomach. And the PEG tube is from the outside going straight into your stomach. So it's asking about that type of artificial nutrition and only asking if that's what you would want um, if it was going to pr- prolong the process of dying. So if it was a bridge to wellness, this would not even come up. This right. is something that, right. you know, we would uh, ask you, but um, this isn't something that'd say, oh, well, she didn't want it, so we're not going <laughs> to offer it. And then the other is the IV fluids. Um, and a lot of people say that they're wary about saying, no, I don't want those things if it's going to prolong the process because they're terrified that they're going to starve to death right. or they're not going to be offered water. So... What's important to know is that at one, at the end of life, our body doesn't use nutrition like our bodies use them now. Um, But two, that doesn't mean that if you want pudding, I'm not going to give you pudding. Or if you want water, I'm not going to give you water. This is just about those artificial means if it was going to prolong the process. So that's a really good point. And we talk about um, having a healthcare surrogate. I think most documents require you to have an alternate and the importance of that in case that the primary is either unable or unwilling. Yes, absolutely. Because you never know in a situation where maybe, God forbid, I get in a car accident, my husband's with me. Well, he's my primary healthcare surrogate. So if we're both in the hospital, he's obviously not going to be able to make decisions for myself. So I have an alternate listed um, for them to talk to. Also, 
even though you're supposed to talk to them ahead of time and make sure they accept the responsibility, it might be that they come to the situation, they realize this is way too hard. This is not something that I actually feel comfortable doing. Um, And if you didn't have an alternate, then I would have to go to that Florida law statute saying who to talk to. So um, the other thing is sometimes people, if they have two children, they're like, oh, I don't want to choose between the two of them. I don't want to start fights. But honestly, the problem with appointing two primary health care surrogates is if they (laughs) come into disagreement, right? So if, you know, brother says yes and daughter says no, mom's kind of stuck in the middle until a decision's come to. So you can reach the mailman and ask. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So I always tell people, even though it's hard to choose which child first, maybe if you have two kids, I would still appoint a primary and then put the other kid as the alternate because then you can put a little note on your healthcare surrogate form saying, you know, Johnny needs to make sure he has conversations with Susie prior to saying yes or no. Um, but it really takes the patient from out of being caught in the middle. So, Andy gives, like Lou has emphasized, and I love the analogy that this is a gift to your family mm-hmm. in advance. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt what your desires are. And I think that's one of the big things that we're here today and we're going to try to wrap it up is have a discussion with your family. Identify who it is that you trust to be and discuss it with that person and ensure that they are willing and able. Make the plan and then distribute copies to doctors and anyone else that would need to know it, your surrogate, your other family members if they need. So make it known what your choices are. Absolutely. What if I have one of these and I never thought to give it to my doctor? Do I take it to the hospital and just say, hey, if I'm run over by a bus, have this in my file? Yeah, I was trying. If you if you have one done, you never give it to your doctor. I always encourage people to take it to their primary care physician. If they see a consultant routinely, like if you see a nephrologist or a pulmonologist, I say give it to them as well because you Mm -hmm. see them routinely. Um, And then, yeah, bring it to the hospital of your choice and you can drop it off at medical records with a driver's license. And I know the hospitals, all three here, will upload it to your um, file. So if you haven't done that yet, you can. I just think sitting here while we've been talking, you can imagine a lot of nightmare situations very easily Mm -hmm. for just not doing it. Right. And some people, they ha- you talked about the durable power of attorney. That is a completely separate document. And some think, oh, well, I did that, so I'm, I'm fine. But honestly, if the power of attorney does not mention something about health care, we have to go report to Florida law. It is not enough. I have a grandmother who lives out of state, and uh, you, it gets you nothing. Yeah. I mean, unless you have a health care clause, which... Um, I know the attorneys in town, when I've seen them, that they start, they've, I've seen started to include them, but they don't include, not all of them do. So this is something that if you have a power of attorney, you think you're set, just review it and see if it has a healthcare surrogate clause in there. Good question for your legal advisor um, or yeah. come take the class. Yeah. And Kenny, when was that? Tuesdays? Um, every month, the second Tuesday, second Tuesday, 3.30 to 4.30. It's free to attend Advanced Care Planning Program in the MOB conference room through the main entrance at Sacred Heart Hospital. And our guest today, Carrie Riggs, who is a licensed clinical social worker, is the person that is the presenter for that. And I personally have sat through it. She's very open to questions. Um, She has a slideshow that can go through for the educational purposes, um, but very amenable to questions and 
Absolutely. I feel like this is something, you know, this is the let's talk community. This is very much for the community and I want to tailor it to the community. So, you know, sometimes we have the same conversation. Sometimes we have very different conversations. It's whoever attends and whatever their questions are. I think you should see how many people can bring friends down. We all get together at restaurants and have a drink at the end of the week. What a great productive way. Drag your girlfriends or right? guy friends and go and discuss something. Take it back to your family as the gift that it is. And again, Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, Riggs, R-I-G-G-S, can be reached at area code 850-416-7705. Sacred Heart actually has a website that's Advanced Care, um, www.sacred-heart.org forward slash advance care and my plan i love this that sacred heart has this program titled my plan making your personal life wishes act now we thank you so much for being with us carrie we do carrie it's been fun talking about thank you guys i know as cheerful as it is thank you have had a great afternoon I would like to, before we go, remind everyone or anyone listening, TLC Caregivers is the area's largest provider and longest provider, non-medical care in the home, and we are hiring from four hours to 40 hours a week. Whatever the worker has available. That is correct. And as long as it is non-medical, moral, legal, and ethical, TLC is the solution. And we're looking to join or to broaden our team. The application's available online at tlccaregivers.com under careers. You can get one in person at 4400 Bayou Boulevard, Suite Number 9, which is Cordova Square. In Pensacola. In Pensacola, 730 to 430, Monday through Friday. Uh, you can email <laughs> resumes to career at tlccaregivers.com. We have some great benefits for employees um, I have been there almost 15 years. And the company's been in place, like I said, since 1989. 27 years. And That's still crazy. locally owned. I know. I love that. I do. Um, and so, we do provide care to all ages, uh, as long as it's non-medical. We are open 24 hours a day for services. That's so true. we answer our phones 24 hours a day. And if someone needs care 24 hours a day, we have workers that can do that. And going back to the workers that... We say we need, we need workers every hour of the day. Every, literally every hour of the day. And we have been taking care of Northwest Florida and we, for a very long time, and can't do it without more wonderful caregivers. Give a check us out on our Facebook page. Or give us a call at 850-857-0920. This has been Let's Talk Community with TLC Caregivers. And TLC Caregivers, we do more than you might think. This show is brought to you by TLC Caregivers. TLC Caregivers, we do more than you think. Learn more at tlccaregivers.com.